You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras, Blue Jays edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinsand recently sat down with Jays Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations, Ross Atkins. The two talked about expectations for the 2017 Blue Jays, the future of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., as well as what it was like to be teammates with a 14-year-old Alex Rodriguez. Here's Mark. Ross, you went from straight from a five-year minor league career to a front office job. Was there any part of your playing career that you think has helped you on the other side? Sure. You know, I think, you know, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of my resume, part of my life's experiences. So, um, you know, I think every aspect of any general manager's life is going to have some impact or influence on them. Having said that, um, it's just a piece of the equation. I think the most significant part of my development has been other executives and other people that I've been able to learn from in front offices. Who have been your, your biggest influences in that regard? Yeah, I mean, you know, Mark, obviously, who still remains that, but some others that are here and, you know, Ben Sherrington and Tony LaCava have been great in this transition. Um, you know, Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff, Mike Hazen were guys that I worked with uh, a good bit. There's managers that I've learned a great deal from and John Farrell and uh, John Gibbons and, and Terry Francona, Manny Acta, Eric Wedge. Um, but that list is long. Neil Huntington, I failed to mention. So. It's like an Oscar speech. you got to make sure you don't forget people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, helping young Latin players was very important to you when you joined the Indians front office, which eventually led to your job as the Latin, Ameri- Latin American operations director uh, in 2004. Why was that so important to you? Uh, it was just, it was actually something that, uh, I saw as an opportunity for myself to learn and grow and help. I grew up in Miami, Florida, uh, you know, played baseball in Venezuela, was always drawn to the young Latin American players when I was a minor league player um, in, in trying to learn more about their culture, their upbringing, and in, and in turn trying to help them transition into ours. So it was just something I saw as an opportunity where I felt like I could um, you know, not just help an organization, but also help individuals and, um, you know, realizing their potential and, uh, you know, you're transitioning well to uh, professional baseball. My first job after playing was, uh, you know, I, it was, I can't remember if my title was translator or not, but essentially I was translating for Danny Baez and his transition into professional baseball. But the way that Mark and Neil Huntington described the role to me was to help him transition into this culture of professional baseball in the United States, which is a very different uh, transition than the Dominican Republic to the United States or Venezuela to the United States and from where he was in his career. Uh, Mark Shapiro hired you as a minor league coach immediately after you stopped playing. Uh, What do you think caught his eye that led to him giving you a job? Uh, we we had a great relationship when I was a player. I, I knew right away that uh, there was something special about the Cleveland Indians. When my first day there, I was asked, you know, what I wanted to accomplish in my career, how I saw myself as a player, what I could get better at, and how they could help in that process. So um, that that jumped out at me, which is what spurred my interest in what player development meant and how I could have an impact on people. And because of that, Mark and I developed a relationship. So I would imagine that, um, you know, had something to do with him uh, seeing the potential for me to coach or potentially work in a front office. 
With so many executives changing teams on a seemingly annual basis, I mean, you and Mark came from Cleveland, Ben came from the Red Sox. Is there such a thing as secretive data anymore? I mean, when, when teams are, you know, hiring guys from other teams who obviously are bringing those experiences with them? You know, that's a good question. We do talk about that all the time. I think you would get a different answer from all, obviously, you'd get different answers from different people. But, um, you know, my take on it is you absolutely have to be thinking about what's the next competitive advantage. Uh, but also, once you have it, it's probably in someone else's pocket. So it's, it's that relentless approach to finding the next one. And it's not, I think, all too often people are focused on just information when it may not be about information. It may be people. It may be culture. It may be environment. Um, so I think it's just, um, you know, there is no silver bullet, uh, if that's a part of the question. But if you're not thinking about finding the next competitive advantage, uh, then you're missing out on opportunities. That actually brings me to a question I had, which is, uh Every team at this point has an analytics department. Um, do you think teams now are looking for the next big thing and, and you know, trying to, I mean, now that you know, analytics for a while, it was only certain teams were really using them, now all 30 are. I'm sure there are things that some teams yeah. have that aren't so public, but what do you think might be that next wave as teams look to gain some advantage? Um, you know, I, I think it's understanding how to weight things. You know, I think it. You know, every team is thinking about what it could be a defensive metric. It could be maximizing stat cast. Thinking about how to use that information is certainly not easy. Being at the forefront of using it well is certainly not easy. But nothing is more difficult than understanding how to appropriately weight it when you do have something that you feel is evidence-based an evidence-based tool to evaluate, to make decisions, um, you know, how to appropriately apply that to all of the other factors, like how that person is feeling this year or next year or what his family background is and, you know, what his pedigree is and, you know, what your subjective evaluations are suggesting. So uh, how to fit that into the equation is the most difficult part, and I think that is where... Um, you know, a lot of the smartest people that I've learned from, that's where their thinking is. You mentioned StatCast. How do you think StatCast being available as widely as it is has changed the way fans look at the game or even clubs? Um, I, you know, I think probably uh, mostly the more of an appreciation for defense is what comes to mind for me. Uh, because there's more to stat cast than defense, but being able to um, objectively differentiate something that you probably were thinking was true, um, and then not only uh, differentiate, but understand that there are sometimes big gaps that you couldn't see, uh, that you know were, weren't uh, there for the naked eye. But you know, I it, it's a it's really interesting. It's a great tool. It's something that front office executives have been talking about the concept for a long time. Is there some way to to understand what we're saying? That I think this guy really closes gaps well, or I, you know, I really think this guy hits the ball harder than most, or wow, this guy seems to, um, 
you know, really have a knack for being in the right place at the right time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really just making things more objective. You were very active last year before the trade deadline. What was that first experience as a GM before the deadline like? Yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's everything that we're doing here is collaborative. Everything that we're doing here is an effort to integrate all of our leaders, all of our departments, and then synthesize the information we have into good decisions. And really that comes down to people working together and working together well. And that was the first time that um, I felt as though many departments were clicking on all cylinders for us. And we came away from it thinking, you know, we're a team. You know, the, the, the draft certainly went well for us. Um, but we learned a lot about each other through the draft and you know that our experiences from the draft we were able to uh, then uh, have some open conversations and think about how we can do things better and and we love the results the the early return results on our draft uh, but we felt like we improved our process a bit as we went into the deadline. When you were 14 you played on a youth team in Miami that included Alex Rodriguez and Mike Lowell among some other guys who ended up in the mid-bigs. What was it like playing with and watching a 14-year-old Alex Rodriguez? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, he was, you know, it's, it's interesting. One of my most vivid memories of A-Rod was as soon as the game was over, he wanted to go back to our hotel rooms and play. You know, we, we created a, uh, a game in the hotel rooms with the towel rack towels and tape balls and continued to play a you know a game of baseball on our knees where it was a double off the wall if you hit it off the mirror it was a home run and you know any video game we could get our hands on that had base something to do with baseball A-Rod was the first to want to run back and do that you know Mikey was was very similar that way but uh, that's what stood out more than talent was his passion for baseball um, but he was clearly he was younger than than Mikey and I was older than Mikey so um, he, he stood out from a talent perspective in that he was almost two years younger than the most of the team. So you think he's going to make for a good baseball analyst on TV? <laughs> yeah, A-Rod, he's, he's passionate and he's smart. So there's no doubt about it that I think his insights will be, will be uh, uh, helpful and enjoyable. If you're enjoying this Mark Feinstein interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinstein. When you were hired, you said your goal was to help the Blue Jays become, quote, a sustainable winner. How important was it with that in mind to follow up the 2015 postseason run with another playoff season last year? Yeah, it's important. You know, I think it's it's not just about year-to-year uh, -year off seasons. It's not just about free agency. It's about everything that we're doing. Um, so, you know, it, in some years, it's going to be more about contributions from player development and scouting. Uh, you know, right now there's an interesting balance across our team, and uh, you know, one of the one of our efforts over the past year has been to stay young, stay flexible, um, add athleticism, and one of the ways that we've done that is by not trading away the talent that we have. And 
having, you know, feel good about our draft, feel good about the deadline acquisitions, feel good about what we've done internationally. And we'll, we'll continue to do that and have, we're fortunate that we can go into free agency and, and sign big contracts like we did this year. Going off what you just said, you also said recently the way to get younger and more athletic is to, quote, use cash instead of players <laughs> to make acquisitions. Do you see teams trending that way in general where they're trying to hold on to their prospects rather than dishing them away for proven veterans? Uh, I mean, I, I think every team's approaching that differently. Um, I think when teams can um, use cash instead of prospects, I think they would probably prefer to do it, generally speaking. Um, I think in general, teams do have a better understanding, not necessarily that valuable that prospects are more valuable, but they understand better how to value them, period. So um, that creates uh, you know, opportunities to have more efficient transactions, but uh, it also, uh, I think, gives teams a better understanding of what the real cash value is. Blue Jays have been to the ALCS the last two years. Going into this year, is anything short of that next step of getting to the World Series considered a disappointment? You know, you know, yes, yes. Of course, we'll be massively disappointed um, if we're not in the World Series and winning the World Series. That's that's why you do it. Having said that, you know, we talk to our players all the time about focusing on process, not focusing on results, focusing on culture, environment, being a good teammate. And I think if we look up at the end of the year, and you know, if it's only the ALCS or only the ALDS, but we improve from a culture, environment, and process standpoint, uh, then we'll be able to lay our heads down. Uh, but, but man, this is why we do it is to, to jump up and down on mounts. You talked about analytics a little before. For a while, it seemed like there were some teams that were considered the analytic teams. There were some teams that were considered the scouting teams. Do you think analytics have caught up to scouting league-wide in terms of their importance to front offices? Uh, I, it, you know, it's, it's hard. I've, I've only really truly been exposed to two organizations and have good relationships and others. And I would say, I, I wouldn't answer it that way that analytics has caught up to scouting. I think just a lot of teams back to what I was saying earlier are now understanding how to maximize scouting with analytics. And that's certainly how the Blue Jays are approaching it is how do we, you know, the, the most valuable information we're getting is from our area and professional scouts and player development staff of their subjective evaluations of players. That is, in my opinion, in our opinion, by far the most valuable information that we can uh, get our hands on. But it comes back to how do you weight that and how do you appropriately apply it so that you're not... Uh, too subjective when you actually do make the decision on recency bias or, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, just happened uh, to impact you in a significant way as an individual that might be the last person that's a significant part of the decision. So uh, coming up with better ways to uh, objectively use the hard work of area scouts and pro scouts and player development and major league staffs, I think, is where... Um, you know, some some front offices certainly where I can speak to the Toronto Blue Jays are focused. You were hired to be the general manager on a Thursday. Winter meetings started that following Monday. How would you describe that first week? Um, you know, it was it. You know, it's the world we live in. It's we we work in baseball operations. I've now 
you know, been doing it for 17 years and, you know, uh, the biggest change is you go from an organization, you know, there's roughly 200 to 250 baseball ops employees in most organizations. So I knew all of those very well in the prior organization that I worked for and I did not know them very well here. So that was the biggest uh, hurdle is, um, you know, is people and relationships and establishing them. And so that was the whirlwind feeling that, you know, I wanted to expedite and maximize those as soon as possible. And now a year later, um, you know, I've you know, still got some work to do. I've still got plenty to do because uh, that, that's 250 employees, almost 250 players too. So, um, you know, to me it's about relationships and individuals and, um, you know, I'm confident we're making good progress that way. When I talked to Jeff Luno the other day, he was hired in the middle of the winter meetings to be the GM of the Astros, and he described it as being like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's that was the I probably had seven text messages that implied that that's what I would be doing, you know, with that expression exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it is it's for for me, it's not it's actually not why. Uh, I'm motivated to, to work in baseball to be a general manager. I'm actually motivated to do it with a team of people. So uh, for me, it was about, okay, how can I help this group of people, not how can I take this group of people to the promised land. You made a lot of seemingly unheralded acquisitions last year that proved to be quite valuable. Melvin Upton, Francisco Liriano, Jason Grilly, uh, Joaquin Benoit. Dealing for a star player at the deadline is one thing. Is there a different sense of satisfaction when you make a bunch of smaller moves that all come together? Um, yeah, I've never thought about it that way. Um, you know, really, it was at each juncture what made sense for us. And, you're, you know, it didn't stop. It didn't end there at the deadline. We continued to think about other ways that we can improve our team. And we made another, another move after that. But, um, you know, then had some, some great contributions from our minor league system. Daniel Barnes comes to mind and his – coming into Houston and getting a save at a time where our bullpen really needed some help. Um, you know, so really the, the more gratifying, I would say maybe, you know, the more gratifying um, aspects of working in baseball operations and being a part of a team is when it truly is a team effort. And so when that includes more people and does gel and you can't say enough about the impact of Grilly and Benoit that they had on Asuna and on on Cecil and on Loop and on Tapera, guys that were coming in and Joe Biagini and, and contributing in significant ways. Those guys are proven leaders, not just proven veteran baseball players and massive impact. How difficult was it to see Edwin Encarnacion leave this winter and did it was there any extra sting in him going to your old team? Yeah, I mean, obviously when you're competing uh, uh, for uh, a title and for a city and for a country, uh, knew that, you know, Edwin being back here was important to this organization, to the city of Toronto, to the nation. Um, so initially when it didn't work out, uh, we were disappointed. But uh, as, you know, in, like any offseason will be, you have several strategies. You don't just go into an offseason with, I hope our plan A works or our first or our first initiative works. So, uh, you know, when we moved to the next uh, strategy, we were excited. We were extremely excited about uh, the potential of what Kendris Morales and then building around him could mean. Uh, and then to look up and 
that now means not just Kendrys Morales, but Steve Pierce, Joe Smith, uh, J.P. Howell, um, and uh, I'm forgetting someone right now. Who am I forgetting? Oh, Jose Bautista. So, oh, yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you look up at the end of, uh, you know, an off season and you say, okay, how much better is our team? It's significantly better than when we started the off season, and we executed a strategy we felt good about. You recently said you think Bautista can return to all-star form this season. What gives you that belief? Um, mostly, you know, two things. So two things. One is what he's done in his career, his track record. Um, the second thing is that there's a lot of information uh, that, and it's all subjective, that, that tells you uh, that he was not at his best last year from a shoulder injury in 15 that uh, lingered into 16 and then the knee and then the toe. So he is as strong as he's looked since I've known him. He looks like he was, he's in, uh, you know, 2013 form. He looks really, really good. Um, so all of those subjective reasons, and if I were a betting man, I would bet on something much closer to those monster years that he had prior to 2016. Have you found that there's always a perception that it's more difficult to attract free agents to Toronto, out of the country, et cetera? Have you found that to be the case at all? You know, I think there is there is the unknown for some younger players, um, maybe even for some more veteran players that maybe haven't spent as much time here. I think now that uh, in the past few years the environment has changed a bit, uh, that that certainly helps. But I think we can break down those those barriers a bit with education and break down. Uh, uh, that those unknowns and you know make sure that they're certainly not fears um, but but it really just comes down to most people uh, in this game didn't grow up in Canada so uh, breaking down that barrier is something that we're confident we'll be able to do I'm sure off seasons are always different for front office guys yeah when you have 11 of your own players hitting yeah. free agency how, how daunting is that yeah, there okay. it, it was it was it was exciting to think about. That's how we view opportunities, you know, and or challenges as such as opportunities. And um, you know, the having the resources and support uh, from Rogers Communication and Edward Rogers, and knowing that we were going to be able to be aggressive in free agency, uh, having a, a slightly better. Uh, group of prospects to trade from if that were the case that presented an opportunity where we could get young controllable talent for young controllable talent um, you know and and then uh, having that expectation that we need to win and we're going to win uh, is an exciting challenge to embrace and think about I mean it's, it's absolutely was fulfilling and gratifying as I mentioned earlier to think about doing that with a group of people now that you know that that was something that was nearly as uh, you know the whether it was heavy didn't feel like heavy lifting it was actually extremely fulfilling but to build the baseball operations team not just build the 25 man roster and 40 man roster and build our system but to build the team that's going to do those things uh, was certainly as important and and uh, certainly as gratifying and now to look up and have you know, Ben Charrington alongside of Tony LaCava and Joe Sheehan and Andrew Tennish and having added Mike Morove, Gil Kim and Steve Sanders and having built out a high performance team and 
built out our analytics team that is now integrating and working at the highest leverage times together uh, is something that we feel can, can be difference making. You said this winter that your farm system wasn't good enough to pull off a major deal last summer yeah. for either Andrew Miller or Chapman specifically. How long do you estimate it takes to get the system where you'd like it to be? I mean, the easy answer, I think that's three to five years, right? You know, I think that's what most teams generally say. That, And I think a lot of that is based on, um, you know, it, 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 just one draft or one trade and, you know, the likelihood of all of those players being good in one draft and one trade is, is not great. The likelihood of all of our players getting better um, in our minor league system are not great. Uh, but as we build out, uh, you know, an infrastructure that can do those things and build the team to do those things, I feel like we're there now. We're, we're certainly not done. We're always looking to get better in, in regards to the team that's building the team, baseball operations. Um, I feel like we have the appropriate resources now to do that. And if we look up in three to five years and, uh, you know, don't have – Ideally, we have a winning team and a more robust system uh, to contribute that we don't have to make trades. Um, but if we need to make trades, we certainly can. Um, you know, but certainly the odds of, uh, of one of those two things, we feel like are, are very good. Everybody knows Vladimir Guerrero, future Hall of Famer. Not everybody knows his 17-year-old son, Vladimir yeah. Guerrero Jr. What kind of upside does he have as a player? Yeah, he doesn't, you know, he, there aren't a lot of players that go into live batting practice for the first time and hit multiple home runs and, you know, doubles into the gap and they're seeing for the first time in a while 92-mile-an-hour sinkers and guys throwing breaking balls and change-ups. And live BP isn't a time that you traditionally see 17-year-olds shine. Uh, he does. So, you know, he it's it's – there's a ton of subjectivity to a 17-year-old Dominican player. But when the, all of the subjective uh, commentary, evaluations, and looks um, are they're unanimous, that he's as talented as any young player that our player development staff has seen in some time. So uh, those are good things to hear. A long way to go. He's got a long way to go, a lot of work to do. Um, you know, just from the standpoint that he wants to be great and what it means to be great. Uh, there's a lot of sacrifice ahead. There's a lot of hard work ahead. But he's as passionate and as driven as any young 17-year-old you're going to be around. So uh, we're, we're, we're excited. What makes Russell Martin so important to your team? He's extremely smart and he's extremely athletic. Um, so the intelligence comes into play in more than just the two ways I'm going to mention, uh, but the intelligence comes into play in how he leads a pitching staff, how his, he uses uh, information and instinct uh, in a very efficient way to make incredible decisions to not just game calling, but to truly lead a pitching staff. He's not just a leader of the pitching staff, he's an integral leader of this team. And then the athleticism is, is as good as we have. I mean, he and, and Josh Donaldson and, and Troy Tulowitzki, I mean, the athleticism of those three guys is, is so elite. Um, and, and watching how Russell so efficiently receives, catches, throws, blocks on a daily basis is, I don't, 
I don't think there's any better. Um, he is, uh, the, you know, the impact he had last year on Liriano, I mean, not to mention not just Liriano, Benoit, Grilly, um, but the impact of Aaron, he had on Aaron Sanchez. And, you know, there were some questions about Estrada last year because Navarro was catching him in 15, and he made Estrada look, you know, listen, I'm not taking anything away from any of those pitchers. Sure. They're all very, very talented individuals. But uh, I can't imagine there are many pitchers in the game that wouldn't love to pitch to Russell Martin. Uh, speaking of Sanchez, he threw 70 more innings last year than he'd ever thrown before. The Reducci effect, we all know about that. Uh, do you concern? Are you concerned about the effects on his arm this year? Do you worry about things like that going forward? Uh, I, you know, we think about those things, and we, we plan for those things and think about them in a more positive way than just are concerned about them. We think about them in a proactive way, and, you know, how do we put him in the best position to uh, – you know, for Aaron Sanchez and for the Toronto Blue Jays. And so we are constantly talking about, um, you know, really how we can help him and support him and put him in the best position to, to proceed. You inherited John Gibbons as a manager when you got here. How important is the relationship between a GM and his manager? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, there's probably not one that's more important other than the one above me, you know, the GM and the president and the president with owners. So... Um, you know, it's integral to us being great. Uh, for us to be aligned has to occur for us to, you know, ultimately sustain championships. If there's a breakdown there, everyone will know it. And, and I think he and I have been exceptionally fortunate because uh, we very quickly gained trust and respect, and now we're gaining alignment. And, you know, that is... Uh, it's a must in our view. What would you say right now is your team's biggest strength and biggest question mark? I think our biggest strength is our expectation in our clubhouse, uh, and our biggest question mark is our uh, starting pitching depth. Uh, we have five elite starting pitchers, um, and we're really excited about a, a couple of, of the spring training stories and Lucas Harrell and Casey Lawrence, guys that are throwing the ball well. Uh, but we don't have a, a proven set of, of guys that could start beyond those five. How do you assess the state of the American League East right now? The Red Sox are obviously strong. They've added Chris Sale. Uh, the Yankees are going through a youth movement of sorts. Do you view this as a, a with the Yankees sort of going through that at least and, and that there's a window here for you to stay uh, they, at the top of the division? Yeah, I think, I think we certainly stand the chance to contend for the division, but uh, this division's always very good. You know, the Orioles are going to be good again. They're basically the same team. Uh, the Rays always find a way. They have such good pitching and seem to use information exceptionally well and find ways to be competitive. Um, you know, and the Yankees are, you know, and 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 mostly the team that they were in the second half, which was a very good team. So, and everybody knows how much better the the Red Sox have uh, become over the last three or four years. So, um, but you know, I, our players are motivated by that. Our, we certainly are as well. So, uh, the most gratifying way to win is against the best.